a, a minute about a follow-up to last week's, one of the points of last week. Turn to, uh, oh, let's go to Philippians, right away to Philippians. But remember last week we talked about the fact that in Acts chapter 16, that's where the Philippians story got started. And I encourage you, if you haven't done it yet, study Acts 16. You need to know Acts 16 in order to understand Philippians. Well, in it, we talked last week about the fact that Paul was so sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. When the Spirit says, no, don't go there, he didn't go. And when he said, when the Spirit says, go there, he goes. And he's just, we don't know exactly how he sensed that, but he did. And he was really sensitive, so we talked about being more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I read to you last week a quote from Bill Hybels that I want to read to you again. Then I want to do a follow-up uh, thought and question to it, okay? Hybels talks about this idea of hearing from God, of being people who are just sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he says, over my years as a follower of Christ, I have grown to put a good deal of importance on what I call leadings from God. He says these spiritual leadings happen when you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, you're fully devoted to Christ, These leadings come when you are growing in the word, growing in prayer, and in fellowship with other believers. To hear God's still small voice, you need to create a quiet center in your life that makes a place for him. Through these leadings, you gain guidance and direction from God. Now look on your uh, notes for today. And I, uh, John was telling me a quote that he was reading by Hybels that I thought just really fit in here and really was um, helpful to me. Hybels says, to, he, God tends to offer divine direction to those who are willing to order their daily lives around receiving input from him. Let me read it again. God tends to offer divine direction to those who are willing to order their daily lives around receiving input from him. I really like that because I think it's really, really true. That when I'm doing those things that Hybel's talking about, I just begin being a person that senses the leading of the Spirit more. I sense his moving more. I sense his direction more. I sense his conviction more. I sense his nudging more. But I have to create that center. I have to create that openness. I have to create that space for him. And unfortunately, often, even as believers, the noises of this world, the busyness of this world, the hecticness of this world crowds in, and I'm a person who doesn't say no to those things, and so I am not able. It's like the Holy Spirit's going, hey, listen, hey, stop, hey, come on. And I'm going, oh, I'm sorry, i got to do this, i got to do this, i got to do this, i got to be blah, 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 blah. And I love this. God tends to offer divine direction to those who are willing to order their daily lives around receiving input from him. So let's just do an opening question together around your tables. And I encourage those of you who are new and don't know each other, uh, just jump in there and just start it. How did you do this past seven days with ordering your life to really hear from your shepherd. Remember we used last week, John 10, where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. They listen to my voice. They follow my voice. So how did you do in these past seven days with what Bible says, ordering your life to really hear from your shepherd? I want to encourage you, if you're new to heartstrings, you may not be real good yet at being real honest. And so, you know, you kind of tend there, sit there going, 
uh, maybe I can just kind of pretend and tell him, yeah, I didn't do too bad when the truth is you just, you know, you didn't listen a bit. And that doesn't help you grow. That doesn't help you, you know, really develop as a mature Christ follower. So around your tables, just share, how did you do this past seven days with ordering your life to really hear from your shepherd? Um, And I want to remind you, and I'll keep reminding you until you get in the habit of it, you who are extroverts and tend to jump in there and talk. I saw it happen last week. Don't do it. Just pretend that you're going like this and just, just, I know you're going, I can answer this, I can answer it. But just make yourself really, really quiet. And call other people out. Let them uh, bring their answers and it'll be a better table for you. So around your table, answer that first question. Go. How many of you, how many of you around your table would have to say, my heart's in the right place. I really want to order my life so that I can hear, get better at having the, being sensitive to the spirit, but I have to admit, every day I just have to force myself to order my life around receiving input. I just have to force myself sometimes to spend time with them and to get quiet. How many of you say it's a daily task to do this? Man, I just, every single day, yesterday I went home after a long day and had some stressful stuff and it was, uh, it's like seven o'clock. And I was tired, and I was a little down, and and all I wanted to do was just sit in front of the TV and watch something. I just did not want to think. I didn't want to mentally engage. I just wanted to not go, in, you know, I just wanted to go deeper. And all I could think about was the nudging of the Holy Spirit saying, what's more important? What do you want to be tomorrow? Do you, you know, what's that TV going to help you do? What do you, what, if you spend time with me, how are you going to be changed? And how are you going to be more anointed tomorrow for heartstrings? And how are you going to have more power? And I kept going, I know, Lord, but I just, I just don't know if I can do it. And thank the Lord, his, he's just so faithful. And he just, I just kept knowing the nudge is there. I have to respond to the nudge. And so after a long time in study and prayer, it was just, I was just so thankful. And I felt like, you know, renewed and encouraged and looking forward to today. And I just want to remind you that just because you don't feel like ordering your world around him, don't go by feelings because your feelings will mess you up every single time. Well, let's jump into Philippians chapter one. Last week we got through about four words. Today we're going to get through a little bit more, but we're going to skip some in order to get there. (laughs) Philippians chapter 1. Last week we started out with Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And the word servant is originally the word doulos, which means what? Living tool. I'm his living tool, a living tool in the hands of the master. Then he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. I want you uh, to picture Paul writing you. And so you open the word and he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Heritage. On Wednesday morning. I want you to think. What do you picture when you picture a saint? Do you picture yourself real fast around your table, kind of a silly thing? Just write out, or just talk to each other in like one minute. What are the things you picture when you hear the word saint? 
Real fast, just throw them out around your table. Okay, just a silly little question. What do you picture when you think of the word saint, and does that describe you? Well, saint is a word that's misleading to modern ears. When Paul wrote the word saint here, it was a word in the New Testament that's used over and over. I've given you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about eight places in the New Testament where the word saint is used, and you can use those as an assignment this week. But I want to tell you the word saint literally is... To all the hagios in Christ Jesus at Philippi, and it means to be set apart or different. To all those who are set apart or different in Christ Jesus, that's literally what he writes. Now, in Paul's Old Testament understanding, and of course he would have been an Old Testament scholar, in the Old Testament it brought up the image of Israel. As a people that was plucked out, set apart by God, and who were to demonstrate their special status by their conduct. Old Testament, Israelites. God says, I'm picking you up. You are the Hagios. I'm calling you to be different, and I want your conduct to represent that. Hence, the Ten Commandments. He says, I want you to be different in how you live on the Sabbath. I want you to be different in how you treat uh, people. I want you to be different in how you treat God's name. Um, In the New Testament, it refers to all of those who are part of the body of Christ, the family of God. And so, when you say, I don't feel like I look like the saint that I'm picturing, Well, tough, because you are. You are the hagios once you become a Christian. You're the hagios. You're part of the family of God. You're the people who are lifted up out of this world, called to be different. I love 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Turn over there towards the back of your Bible. And again, if you're new at looking up scriptures, we don't care. Just look it up as slowly as you have to, but you'll get better. Hey, if there's anybody in here who doesn't have a Bible, especially an updated Bible, let me know and we'll make sure you have one next week, okay? If you have the old King James, let me know. We'll get you a more uh, readable translation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. One of my favorite scriptures when I think about the body of Christ. Oh, that we would get this better and better and better. This describes you. This describes me. This describes the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people. Old Testament, Israelites. New Testament, you, me. Old Testament Jewish people, New Testament, you and me who have been, who've received Christ, who have been circumcised of the heart. But you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. The priesthood, the people who intervene between man and God. That's what you and I are now for people. We're a holy nation. We're a people belonging to God. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Have you been called out of darkness into his wonderful light? If you've been saved, you have. And what's your job now? To represent him to a lost and messed up world. You're to be different. You're to be hagios. You're to be set apart. Living tools in the hands of the master. 
Now that declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. My question for you around the table is this. What do you think then it means to be different? What does it mean to be set apart as Christians? Don't think what you used to hear. I grew up thinking that that meant then that you didn't wear earrings, you didn't wear makeup, um, you didn't do certain things. And the Bible talks about it much more as it's something that happens in the heart. And something that happens, as we'll talk about in a minute, when it comes to love. So what do you think it means to be lifted up out of the society, called to be different, set apart as Christians? What does it mean in your own life? And if we're supposed to be different, why do you think we have so much difficulty being different? What do you think? Take just a couple of minutes because we have so much more to talk about. Go. Okay, not much time there, but I want to get to another part that I want you to have more time to talk. Um, I think when we think of this word, I am called to be a saint, we forget three words that come after it that really need to help us. He says, you're saints, how? In Christ Jesus. I want you to say with me those four words. I want you to say, I am a saint in Christ Jesus. Ready? I am a saint in Christ Jesus. Anytime we forget those last three words, I think there's a part that goes, well, there's no chance. Because we pick, still picture a different concept of saint. Paul says you're a saint because you're a part of the body of Christ. And so live up to that with your conduct, which is what we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I think we forget those last three words. I am a saint in Christ Jesus. The phrase in Christ Jesus or in Jesus Christ is, let's see, in Christ Jesus 48 times in his writings, in Christ 34 times in his writings, in the Lord 50 times. Do you think that's a concept that Paul really believed in? That I am something in Christ Jesus. I am something in God. I am something in the Lord. And I think we, it's so hard for us to understand. It's hard for me to understand exactly what he's talking about when he says, I am in Christ Jesus. I am in the Lord. I've used it other times here in Heartstrings to say, one of the ways I picture it is if there's a bird that's in the air. Well, what is that bird? It's surrounded by the air. A fish in a bowl of water. He is all completely surrounded by that um, water. The roots in a tree, the roots of a tree in the soil, it's completely surrounded by that soil. And I don't think that those are really good analogies, but it helps me to think about the fact that I am just always in the encircling presence of Jesus Christ. I am always trying to figure out more how to live as if I am in him and he is in me, as Paul also says. And sometimes I just sit and think, what does it mean, Lord, to be in you? It just, it like encapsulates my being that I'm in Christ Jesus. I bask in his presence. I praise him for the amazing reality that I am somehow in some mysterious way in Christ Jesus. And I think it would help us in those times when we say, I don't feel like a saint right now, to begin thinking, okay, that usually means because my conduct is not reflecting right. Right? And so, if I begin thinking, okay, right now, Lord, help me to picture I am in Christ Jesus. That means, and you are in me, so right now, the Holy Spirit who lives in me can help me to live as if I am in Christ Jesus. So right now, I'm a saint in you. Help me right now that your Holy Spirit will be so real in my life 
that I live as if my so that my conduct is backing up what the truth is. I've used a lot of times in heartstrings the phrase that just is so um, helpful to me. It's become what you are. Paul already says you're sanctified. Paul always says you're already says you're purified. Paul already says you're a saint in Christ Jesus. And so become what you are. And the reason I can do that is because God's spirit lives in me to enable me to be that and to do that. One of the prayers I have for you and for me is that this year in 2013, I had it last year too, but I pray it more now, even more now, that you and I will come to realize like never before, we are in Christ Jesus and that means we can live any way he calls us to. His power is that almighty. And you may not feel like it today, but it's true. Become what you are. Really, really fast. He talks in verse 5 then. Let's go back to Philippians. As you'll be able to tell, I'm kind of racing through some parts of this because I want to get to what I think is the meat of the lesson today. But I didn't want to ignore these other um, parts that are so important. Verse 3. Let me kind of do that whole paragraph together there. Verses 3 to 6. Almost there. I thank my God every time I remember you. And remember, Paul loves these people. I mean, he had started this church. He had sacrificed for this church. And then, as we'll find out as we study Philippians, they had sacrificed for him. So he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of what? Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As I was studying this again, I just kind of lifted out those words, uh, your partnership in the gospel. Here were people at Philippi who had so believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul had taught them, that they were willing to sacrifice monetarily, as we'll find out, They were willing to sacrifice their time. They were willing to sacrifice emotional support. They had sent one of their best people to him to help him. And they just loved him so much that they said, and they loved him so much, but they also loved the gospel so much that they were willing to sacrifice in order to make a difference for the gospel. And he says, you're my partners in the gospel. And it just, I'm not even going to give you time to talk around your table, but I want you to think in your mind for a minute. How are you doing at partnering for the gospel? How are you doing at being a person in your own church or for the body of Christ at large at saying, I am partnering for the gospel? How are you doing at giving financially? How are you doing at giving time? How are you doing at giving emotional support to your leaders? And I always feel a little awkward when I'm at my own church talking about stuff like this because it looks like I'm self-serving. But I'm just kind of looking at what the Word says. I ask myself this too. How am I doing at partnering in the gospel? Am I doing anything that costs sacrificially for me to do that? So I just encourage you to answer the question this week in your time alone with God. How could you better partner for the gospel? It's just something to think about. And then I love those words it says in verse 6. 
being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I just wonder today, in this room, don't answer it out loud, but I wonder how many of you are not sure that that's true. Now, some of you are. And you just know, you're just walking with him, you're just loving him, you're just uh, growing in him. And you go, I don't have any doubt about it. He is so faithful, he's going to carry on to completion until the day that Jesus comes back again and he really finishes the work. I know that God's going to do that. But some of you in here feel like failures. Whenever I talk about having your conduct measure up to to, uh, who you are in Christ, you go, you sit there and if you're really honest, you're going, man, there are so many parts of my life that I'm not doing that. And you feel like a failure. I just want to encourage you today. He who began a good work in you, he's going to carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. And you may feel like you have so far to go that you'll never get there. You're in Christ Jesus. And just lay your life before him. And let him do a deeper work in you. He's going to carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. Well, now we get to the meat of the lesson today. We're going to spend the rest of the lesson today. We're going to talk about love. It's a, I love it when Paul offers his prayers. They're prayers that I often use in my own devotional time, praying for you, praying for my kids, praying for people that I know, that I love, praying for my church. And this is a great prayer that he gives. But I have to admit, it's a verse that I've struggled, or it's a prayer that I've struggled with trying to really get my mind around all that he's saying. And I have just worked and prayed and read and worked and read and prayed and I was really struggling with this still and I felt like yesterday he helped me to get something that I think is really really good. I can say that because it's just from him and I think it's going to help you too. So you might be like I am that when you read verses 9 to 11 you go I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about here except that I know he's talking about love. So let's read it together and then I'll help you like the Lord's helping me to get it better. Let's read it out loud. It's on your note-taking guides there in the box. Verses 9 to 11. Ready? And this is my prayer for you. Are you there? It sounds like you're still finding it. Are you ready? Need to turn the page? You're with me? Great. Ready? And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you study Paul very much, you know that he he just takes a sentence and he goes on and on and on in the same sentence. And you get to the end you go, I wonder what he started off the sentence with. And this is one of the shorter ones. But let's tear it apart. The one thing I do know about this verse, and it's all about love. And so I want to just take that concept, first of all, of love and share together with it a little bit. First, I want to talk about the importance of love. The importance of love. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more. Love. Man, it's a word with so much meaning, so many connotations. And to Jesus... The most important word of all. Turn to Matthew 22. You probably could quote this, but I also want you to know where to find this. You're probably like I am, where you know a lot of scripture is in there. You're just not exactly sure where it is. I want you to be able to tell people where it is. 
Matthew 22, verse 37. You probably remember that somebody comes to test Jesus and says, Hey, so what's the greatest commandment? I wonder what he expected to hear, don't you? wonder what he was, because he had something in him that he was, he was expecting. And I wonder what he expected to hear from Jesus. And Jesus says this. Love, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. I'd say, I'd change it a little bit to say, okay, Jesus, I think it's a little bit harder, though. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says a fascinating line. He says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Old Testament. He says, all of this hang on those two commandments. He says, you know, we think of the Old Testament as being about a lot of stuff. He says, it's all about loving God and loving people. All of it hangs on that. Well, if Jesus said it's the most important commandment, don't you think we need to be figuring out a little bit more about what it means? One of my favorite authors is Brennan Manning. He wrote The Signature of Jesus that we've studied in Heartstrings before. It's one of my top probably five books in my life. And he says this. He would agree with what Jesus said, which is a good thing, I guess, wouldn't it be? On your notes there. According to the evangelical criterion for holiness... The person closest to the heart of Jesus Christ is not the one who prays the most, studies scripture the most, or the one who has the most important position of spiritual responsibility entrusted to his or her care. It's the one who loves the most. The person closest to Jesus is the one who loves the most. Now, before we go any further into what it means to love and kind of talk about some of the difficulties in loving and then go into the rest of his prayer about what he says, how we're supposed to be loving more, I want you just to do a little quick review around your table and share this answer. It's on your questions there. Let's just share a little bit around your table about your current status when it comes to loving. If you were... uh, Writing a, like a, a continuum here, and you say, here is, I, I love it all. Here is, man, I am loving powerfully and passionately. Where would you feel like you'd fall on the scale? And maybe you want to be specific when you say, I'm doing great here. I'm doing horrible here. Just kind of share a little bit around your table. Let's go to those people who have spoken the least so far. And jump in there and try to at least have four or five people share. With you in the next couple minutes. Go. Okay, that's just to get you started to think about your own place when it comes to love. Let's go a little bit deeper. Paul says, I pray that your love may abound how? More and more. And I think about the growth of love. Abound more and more. Some of your translations will say overflow more and more. Do you realize that love never reaches the saturation point? (laughs) Love never reaches the saturation point. Uh, around your tables, some of you were saying, when I'd say, how are you doing? You'd say, well, I'm kind of up and down. You know, with some people I'm really good and some people I'm not. Isn't that just life? Love never gets to the place where you go, I am there now. I love everybody equally and passionately. 
And here, I think that's one of the things that Paul's saying. However you love, I'm just praying that you love more and more. The question is, is that happening in our lives? Well, I begin thinking about where that doesn't happen in our lives. And you know some of the places that doesn't happen in your life. I'll bet you right now, if I say, when we talk about the depth of love, loving difficult people, I'll bet you immediately somebody comes to your mind. (laughs) Loving difficult people. It amazes me who becomes that difficult person in my life. I have a long-term person in my life, and then I notice that there are just certain temperaments. I met somebody yesterday, and I thought, that's just one of those people that kind of represents the people that are difficult for me. There are certain characteristics in that person that just kind of drive me crazy. Now, you, I bet you have that kind of person in your life, too. I hope you're not married to them. <laughs> and you need to pray even more. Difficult people. We all know that some people are just more difficult to love than others, but this is where the love of God can be most obvious in our lives. So I began thinking, so what do I do when there's that difficult person? I went through some of my material to see um, what I've talked about in this before, and Max Lucado is just so good in this. He just writes so amazingly. And he talked about two things that really helped me that I'm going to try to um, assimilate into my life more. He says, when you have difficult people, um, number one, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, I know that sounds like, oh, yeah, duh. But how many times do you do that? How many times do I do that when that person walks into the room? Or I know that I'm going to go on you know, go to their house, or I know that they're going to come into church, or I know that they're going to work beside me or something. What do you do? Well, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He says this. He says, some of us, when it comes to that difficult person, we think, well, I could never love that person because they've hurt me so deeply. The wounds are so numerous. Just seeing that person causes me to cringe. And so he writes, I put it on your note guides, perhaps that's your problem. Perhaps you're seeing the wrong person. Maybe you need to see see someone else. He says the secret of being just like Jesus and serving is found in Hebrews 12.1. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He says this, I put it on your notes so you can have it and keep it. Try shifting your glance away from the one who hurt you and setting your eyes on the one who saved you. That's pretty good. When you really see who you are in your sinfulness, and you see how holy Jesus was, and what price he paid to love you, it helps you to love other people. So, Hebrews 12.1, fix your eyes on Jesus. I think I'm going to try to do that whenever um, this one, one of those difficult people would come into my life, especially the, the um, hold on a second take it off so that that doesn't I don't want any of you to think it's you (laughs) Um, I'm going to whenever I'm around her I'm going to just try to picture Jesus right in between us I'm going to try to picture the cross right in between us I'm just going to try to fix my eyes on Jesus and then see her and for the things that she says out of shining light through the cross I think it might help me We'll come back to that and ask you a question about it in a minute. But he also says this, fix your eyes on your sin. If you're having a hard time loving someone, he says, fix your eyes on your sin. And I love this quote that he gives. It's on your note guides. Think about it. Our Savior kneels down 
and gazes upon the darkest acts of our lives. But rather than recoil in horror, he reaches out in kindness and says, I can clean that up if you want. And from the basin of his grace, oh, that's such a beautiful phrase. From the basin of his grace, he scoops a palm full of mercy and washes away our sin. So when I think about that person and how much she bugs me, how much he bothers me, how much I don't like that temperament stuff, if I begin instead, fix up my eyes on Jesus, and then fix my eyes on me and think, wonder how many people I'm that difficult person to. Think about that. I wonder who you bug. (laughs) I wonder who, you know, what in-law is saying. Uh, If I ask them, they'd say, oh, it's her. So I go, I wonder if I bug my, that person, as much as she bugs me. (gasps) Oh my goodness, because I think I'm the perfect one in the situation. I wonder if she's sitting going, she drives me crazy. What if I focus on all the things that I do that maybe rub her wrong, instead of all the things that she does that rubs me wrong? I like this next quote. Um, this one is, I believe, by Manning. I didn't, I don't think I put a name on there. Jesus Christ crucified. Because we still say, well, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus and we fix our eyes on our own um, weaknesses and inadequacies and, and, and idiosyncrasies, Jesus Christ crucified is not merely some heroic example to the church. He is the living power and wisdom of God, empowering Patty Bray to reach out a hand of healing to people who have ripped us off, screwed us up, and turned us down. At the foot of the cross, we recognize ourselves as forgiven enemies of God, and we're empowered to extend forgiveness and reconciliation to other people. I heard someone say around your table, what about the person who's not saved? Man, they need this kind of love more than anybody, don't they? Max Lucado says this, If we have experienced God's unconditional love and forgiveness, what keeps us from extending the same love and forgiveness to others? I have known some people like this. When I was writing this lesson, I thought immediately of my friends in Sierra Leone, West Africa, where um, in the times when I have been with them, I have just sat there weeping and humbled. Because if you remember the story of if you saw Blood Diamonds, you remember the story that Sierra Leone had gone through the uh, 16-year civil war and horrible, evil, the worst evil anybody could have where they would come in and give young children um, machetes and uh, give them drugs and and get them so out of their heads that then they would send them into villages and, and they would go to work with the machetes and cutting off noses and ears and breasts and legs and arms. And I got to be there right as the war was ending the first time and got to sit with with these Africans that would sit there and tell me about the... They would sit there with their uh, arms cut off or their hands cut off and they would tell me their stories about forgiving and the power of God that rested in their lives to forgive the people. Some of them, after the war, they had to, They began trying to do the reconciliation, putting their villages back together with some of the very people who had killed them. And they would tell how the Wesleyan church was 
making these havens where they would say together, we're going to learn how to love each other. And I forgive you for what you've done. To me, it was Christianity at its depth, at its finest. And when Paul says, I pray that your love may abound more and more, overflow more and more, my Sierra Leonean brothers and sisters are the people who taught it to me more than anybody else that I can imagine. Remember my first trip there when I would be at a conference where one of the guys who had lost his arm uh, would stand, he was the, the music leader, and he would stand up with um, with his arm cut off to here, and he'd be worshiping God and just praising God, and, and all of us just sitting there weeping as we knew that this is a man who lived through this stuff and was living it out to the core of his being. That's the way I want to love, and I'm not there yet, are you? So when I hear this prayer of Paul, I pray that your love may abound more and more. I say, Lord, I need to be more on my knees more, that you would help me to love that way. Brennan Manning says it. I don't think it's in your note guide. He says, every time we choose to walk the extra mile, to turn the other cheek, to embrace and not reject, to be compassionate and not competitive, to kiss and not bite, to forgive and and not massage the latest bruise to our wounded ego. We're breaking through from death to life. Let me read that one phrase again. Anytime we choose to forgive and not massage the latest bruise to our wounded ego. Isn't it amazing? We talk about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're more sensitive to how people hurt us then we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And most of the time, they don't even mean to hurt us. But we let our ego get wounded and bruised, and we get resentful and bitter and angry, and we carry that with us, and we try to live holy, Christ-like lives. And it doesn't work. So, around your tables, as you think about those two things, fix your eyes on Jesus when it comes to those difficult people. And fixing your eyes on your own inadequacies, sins, failures, faults, idiosyncrasies, however you want to call it. How would those two things possibly help you in being a person who um, loves better? Especially to those people that you don't necessarily like as much. Max Lucado says, the mercy of Christ preceded our mistakes. Our mercy must precede the mistakes of others. How would that help you? Just take a couple minutes and share that around the table. How would it help you in especially loving difficult people? I know that you could talk for a long time about that, but I want to um, jump ahead to more of this prayer that he has and see if we can get a better handle on what Paul's talking about when he does his long, rambling sentence, okay? Um, I'm going to jump ahead where it says a call to sacrificial love. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and come back to that, okay? How should love grow? He writes to us some specific ways that love should grow. And this is where I struggled and struggled and struggled with this. And I, like I said, I've studied Philippians since I was 14 years old. Um, He says, I pray that your love may overflow or abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And then it goes on. Well, I was like, okay, God, I just don't know. I don't feel like I'm really getting this. And then I began putting it together with Matthew 22. 
and felt like I kind of got some new handles on it. This is not on your note, guys. There's a clean sheet of paper on your uh, tables that you can use as your little chart uh, to make something new. Do this. Over to the left, put love. And then put three lines out from it. And I'm sorry that this is so low, but I, it's too tall if I put it on the top one. I can't reach it if I'm, if I'm too short. And up here, Matthew 22, the love of the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, love others. As you love yourself. So I began taking this prayer in light of what's he talking about? How does the rest of the scripture help me to love God more and more in those ways? Others more and more in those ways? And myself more and more in those ways? And so he says, I pray that you will love, or I pray that your love will abound more and more in knowledge. In knowledge. So write the word knowledge off to the side. And I've already run out of room here. <laughs> Trying to make it big enough for you to see it. I wrote on my paper knowledge of God, knowledge of others, and knowledge of myself. Well, how do I grow in knowledge of God, knowledge of others, and knowledge of myself more and more? <laughs> so I began looking up what does it mean when Paul was writing knowledge. He's talking there about specifically knowledge that's acquired by experience or learning. Knowledge that's acquired by experience or learning. So, how do I learn more about God? How do I learn more about others? How do I learn more about myself um, that will help me to love more? Well, I thought this one was really pretty easy. How do I acquire more learning of God or more experience with God. Well, it's easy. One of the things, isn't it? How do I learn more about Him? I gotta know His Word. How do I know about God more? I gotta know His Word. I gotta know His Word. I gotta know His Word. How also I can read other good books that help me to learn more about Him. Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy, one of my all-time favorites. You could go to the bookstore and pick up ten books right now that can help you to learn more about God. And so it's, how do I get more knowledge of Him? I also can just sit and think about Him. It's called meditation. I can sit and say, okay, God, I have studied your word today about who you are. Now, how do I experience that out? How do I live it out? Plain experience helps me. As I walk through life, as I go through problems and struggles, how do I love God more through them instead of shaking my fist at Him as bad things happen, tough things happen? So I have, those are all questions I'm constantly having to go through. God, how do I love you more by getting to know you better? So Paul says, I just pray that you get to know God better, love Him more. I pray that you love Him more by getting to know Him. So one question would be, are you... It's some part of your life getting to know him better by learning more about him, by experiencing more about him. That's why stuff like this is so important. That's why going to a good church is so important. So that on a weekly basis and then on a daily basis, you're getting to know more about him. Right? That one it was a little easier for me. Um, and as I walk through all these things, I want to keep saying, help me love you more. Help me love you more. Help me love you more. As I do all these things. 
Well, how do I love others more by getting to know them? He says, I pray that your love will abound more and more in knowledge. Well, how do I get to know other people more? Uh, For me, man, I just had, I've read scores and scores of books on people. Remember back years and years ago reading uh, Joyce Landorf's uh, Balcony People and uh, How to Get Along with Difficult People. I mean, it started, you know, 30 years ago. Today, reading books on how to just understand people better. And you may say you'll only do one of those books a year. But maybe throughout the year sometime, it'd be good if you say, how do I, if you're struggling with your husband, get a good book on how to love him better. Um, for me, a lot of this is, how do I get to know, how do I get to love people more when it comes to knowledge? i got to sit and ask, why do they act this way? One of my difficult people that I've had for years and years and years, I struggled and struggled and struggled, why does she act the way she does until the day that she said, you don't know this, Patty, but I was raped as a teenager. I'd known her for all those years and never had any idea. And it was like suddenly the light bulb went on and I went, to me, you idiot. You think you know people and you don't. Why does she act the way she does? Ask that question of people. There's always a reason people act the way they do. And the more we get to know them and their pain, the more we can, I think, the more easily we can let God love us through them. We tend to think they're just being a jerk. And that's not the case. There are some things that are happening deep in their life or has happened deep in their life that we don't know about. And that helps me to give people more grace when I go, oh, I had no idea. Uh, one thing that helps me right here is just watching people. Just watch people and uh, asking a lot of questions. That's a big thing for me. So I want to sit and find out. One of the reasons, and you know, you, I know you laugh because I love to ask questions. One of the reasons is I just love to get to know people below the surface because that helps me understand them better so I can love them better. Learn to ask people questions. People love to talk about themselves, even people who are quiet and shy. If you really get them on something that they like to talk about about themselves, they'll love to share with you. If they really care, believe you care about them, they'll love to talk about themselves. But sometimes we don't ask questions and we don't get below the surface and we just kind of let, you know, just, oh, well, it's all surface stuff. Um, and then, not, how do I get to know myself better? It would be a good question for you to think about. How do you get to know yourself better? Man, for me, it's just sitting, I have to journal a lot. I have to, as I journal, it comes out of me why I think the way I do and why I feel the way I do. I was really discouraged about something recently and started journaling. By the end, I thought, oh, now I see what is it in me that's struggling through this. That is something God needs to work deeper on. So he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge. And then he says, also, in depth of insight. In depth of insight. Not just in knowledge, but since I don't have much room, I'll write You can write it uh, other places. In uh, depth of insight. When he uses that word, he's talking about a spiritual sensitivity. A spiritual sensitivity to God to people, and to myself. I think this goes back to last week's lesson on being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 
as I create those spaces, if I give him time and opportunity to, to talk deep into my life, I really am convinced that the Holy Spirit will help me to have more of a depth of insight on what makes God happy about my life, what pleases him, what displeases him. I think the same thing happens here. As I pray, God, give me a greater depth of insight about people. Do you pray that? If you don't, I encourage you to make that one of your main prayer things this year. That God, just pray all the time, every day, Lord, as I walk through today, help me be really sensitive to people's needs. Really sensitive to their hurts, to their pains. I pray this all the time. Because I don't want to just, I mean, all of us just walk by people sometimes. You can't know everybody's needs and everything. You can't, like in a room of 130 people, you can't sit here and get to know every single person. But you can ask the Holy Spirit, today there's somebody that you want me to, you want to use, you want me to use in their life. Or make me really sensitive. Give me a depth of insight about that person. Some of you need to pray this about your husbands. Because you get ticked at them and you get frustrated with them. I just really encourage you, ask God this year to give you a depth of insight into your husband that creates a greater love for him. A depth of insight. Uh, So it says, uh, I pray that your love will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And then he says, why? So that you may be able to discern what is best. And maybe pure and blameless. Oh, we'll cover that in just a minute. Let me use this as another final illustration about this. Maybe you'll find yourself on this. I thought about this yesterday. I thought this was just helpful to me. Okay, so... <laughs> I don't think it's supposed to be on this whole thing. I sure hope our microphone is on for this. Yeah, it is. So I've heard that. Um, okay, so let's take this as an example. Let's say today you come to Heartstrings and you go, whoa, I need to love more. And you have kind of like a uh, an experience of the insight comes, your, your depth of insight, insight really improves today and you go, I just got to love more. I have so far to go, this is crazy. And so you make a deep commitment to God today to say, I'm going to love more. Um, let me start my work. So you say, yeah. And you start doing some of the things that I just talked about. You want to love God more, so you read your Bible more to get to know Him. Uh, You want to help other people, so you pray that you'll have more of a depth of insight into people's lives more. You pray more for people, and you go, I am really growing. My love is abounding more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I'm just thrilled about it. And then you come to Heartstrings in two or three weeks, and, or a sermon on the weekend, and you go, oh my goodness, the Lord just nailed me today. I just realized that I'm not loving uh, dirty people, sick people, I mean, whatever your thing might be, alcoholics. I mean, you know, you, everybody has somebody, gay people. Everybody has somebody that go, I don't like that group. Of, I don't know, I'm just using a stupid example. But you say, okay, I go, oh man, I need God to help me love more. I don't love him enough, I don't love people enough. And so you, you just go on another, like, deep commitment and, and you just your, your love abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight and you go I am just really really loving and you just keep going on this path you're just surrendering you're just growing in love you just are passionate for him and then um, you stop doing some of these things and you start coasting and then you notice 
that you're gossiping about people and you notice that you're um, getting bitter towards somebody and you notice that you don't forgive, you get really busy and so you just say, oh my goodness, my love quotient is really, really failing. And so you find yourself failing. That's kind of what love, what happens with love, isn't it? I want to encourage you this year to stay so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that you don't get very far down. And you let Him catch you really fast. And you repent and you tell Him how sorry you are that you have been that way towards whether it's a group of people or whether it's a specific person. And I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to you. Because again, i got those couple people in my life. Ask God to forgive you, and then you start growing again. And you look back and you say, oh my goodness, I'm growing in knowledge and depth of insight so that I'll be able to discern what is best. Aren't there times in your love relationship with God and with people that you need to know what's best? It's not just what's good, you need to know what's best. And he says, if you're doing these things, you're going to know what's best. And that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. I put on your notes there, the word pure is a really neat word. It describes something that can stand up to having sunshine pass through it. Of course, back in those days, they didn't have some of the, obviously the modern equipment that we have. But they would hold something up to see how pure it was. And they would let the sunshine flow through it and see if it, what impurities were there. And Paul uses that word here. He says, as you do these things, it's like if you hold your, your um, life up to the sunshine, and you let the sunshine flow through it, and you say, whoa, it's pure. And that's the kind of heart God wants to place in his people. That you may be pure and blameless. And the word blameless in many situations is to not cause anybody to stumble. To not cause anybody to stumble. And then he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. As I live for him, as I love people, as I love God, as I love myself, there's just fruit that's produced out of it. Usually the fruit of the Spirit. And then he says, to the praise of his glory. Don't you want to live that way? That your love ends up bringing glory to God. Because one, you know you couldn't do it without him. And two, nobody else, everybody else knows that you could. There's got to be something different about you when you love like this. To the praise of his glory, the goal for all of us. Let's go back to that little section that I said we're going to skip for a minute. That part that says um, sacrificial love. The call to sacrificial love. I want to give you one last question. One last thought. What if we said, God, this year, 2013, I'm going to give my life to you like I've never given it before to love. And if you will take this life, this surrendered life, I'm going to let you love people like I've never loved before. And I'm really interested in this word that I wrote down, the sacrificial part. For some of you to love your husbands this way, it's going to be a sacrifice. Because you've got to get over your wounded egos. 
For some of you, it's going to be hard to love one of your kids this way because they're not walking the way you want them to. For some of you, it's going to be a relative, a co-worker, a church person, a person maybe in here, I don't know. But I wonder if we really say, I want to love sacrificially. I wonder what he would do in and through us. We all know we can't do it without him, so it's going to cause us to go deeper in him. It's going to cause us to have to love him more and let him love through us more. But I wonder if all of the women in heartstrings, if we said, okay, I'm going to love sacrificially this year. Here's my life. I wonder what he would do. I put on your notes there, what feelings arise in you as I talk about sacrificial love? I wrote down my answer to my own question last night. I went, I like the sound of it. I kind of get excited about it until I know I'm going to see her. (laughs) And I go, oh, dear Lord, it's not going to be as easy as it is standing up in front of heartstrings and telling them how much fun it's going to be to see God work. Right? How about you? As we talk about loving sacrificially, as you grow in knowledge and depth of insight, how do you feel about accepting that call to real sacrificial love? And what steps do you think you'll have to take in order to live that way? Would you discuss that around your tables for just a couple of minutes? What feelings arise in you as we talk about sacrificial love? And what steps will you have to take in order to live that way? Let's go to the people who have spoken the least today. Put you know hard strings in the date and sign this for me just for just for my uh-huh. go program right. that I need uh-huh. a challenge. Right, and I see you found me a bad. Oh yes, thank you for saying that. Hey girls, if anybody else wanted a hard strings bag, we did find them, and uh, Whitney will be at the back to they're ten bucks if you want one. They're at the back. Um, she'll take your money. Yeah, can you just put the date? Sure, can and put hard strings. Is today the 16th or? Yes. Anything else? That doesn't count. Okay. Seven. And then I got That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Thank you. Actually, you know what? Um, five's enough. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's all I have for my name, I swear. You know what? Pay me when you get more money. Yeah, I'm positive. I know that. I mean, I don't know that I'm lost. Awesome. I mean, I know that it's, I'm just happy to do it. <laughs> yep, I just want you to have one.
As you lie up, as you lie.